0: Now last week we started a series called The Four Sides of Pride because God warns us that in the last days pride is going to be a big deal and uh, we are using the analogy of four kings in Babylon and how pride was their downfall. Now one thing we should know is that in the last days our enemy will use pride as a weapon to attack us. So he will use pride to take us what i would say into spiritual bondage to keep us from fulfilling god's purpose and destiny in our lives and pride looks different in many different ways so i want you to get a well rounded view of pride over the next few weeks last week we talked about the seduction of pride but our theme verses are 1st timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 i think it's 1st timothy i'm sorry 2nd timothy Three, one through five. Okay, I was wrong, all right. All right, here we go, first one. But understand this, that in the last days, which we are living in, there will come times of difficulty for people who will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, br- brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit or full of pride, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the, uh, having the appearance of godliness. In other words, they're faithful church attenders, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Now, do these verses sound like believers today? and unbelievers today. I hope not, but I just want you to know, if anything will bring pride out of you, it's COVID. Just saying. There's rumor that there's gonna be another release of COVID. Now, I don't know what you think about that. My wife's probably saying, don't go there, Doug, don't go there. But I am saying this. If there's going to be a release of COVID, it could be a pandemic. Which means you better get your heart right and your attitudes right and not judge others whether they wear masks or no masks or whatever it might be. Let me read this in the message. Don't be naive. There are difficult times ahead. As the end approaches, people are going to be self absorbed, money hungry, self promoting, stuck up, profane, contemptuous appearance, crude, coarse, dog eat dog. Unbending slanders, impulsive, impulsively wild, savage, cynical, treacherous, ruthless, bloated windbags, addicted to lust and allergic to God. Don't let this get in you. They'll make a show of religion, but behind the scenes, they're animals. Stay clear of these people. In other words, No matter what happens in the days ahead, we're gonna trust God, believe God, and look like Jesus and act like Jesus so our world will want Jesus. I don't want us to be taken into spiritual bondage because of pride. Now look at 1 Peter 5, five through eight. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, not some of you, all of you, with humility toward one another. The only ones he can devour are those who walk in pride, those who get angry about stuff, those who judge others, those who come to church, raise their hands, and then backbite and gossip when they get out of here. Amen. Just saying. Talking to you online too, all right. <clears throat> so these verses are telling us keep pride out, away from your life and put on humility like you put on your clothes every single day now last week we looked at king nebuchadnezzar and the seduction of pride today we want to look at the second side of pride through the king through a king named belshazzar and he represents the stubborn side of pride now this is not for you because i know all of you are so humble and can so easily teachable this is for those watching online all right So we're going to read the whole story, all right? Beginning in Daniel 5. This is what it says. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Now let me just say, Belshazzar was really not the king. He was a prince of Babylon. His father was Nabonidus. And Nabonidus, uh, he had left uh, the kingship into uh, his son's hands and left for Arabia to promote and build old altars <clears throat> for his God, get this, the name of his God was Sin kind of an interesting name and he embraced this God and while he did he was gone for about 17 years so he put his son in his place before he left <clears throat> as king of uh, Babylon and uh, this is how Belshazzar got the the title king, even though he was actually the prince uh, fulfilling in for his father's place. Now, you also need to know his mother was Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. So he's the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar that we talked about last week. So Belshazzar decides to throw this amazing party for 1,000 of his lords, rulers, ministers, and his buddies. Okay, verse 2. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem to be brought, that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So this king brought the vessels that his grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar, had brought from the temple in Jerusalem, and had stored them in the temple with his gods uh, that he worshipped when he conquered Judah. So King Belshazzar takes these articles that were dedicated to God in the temple in Jerusalem and takes them for his own personal use. And I want you to get this. Whatever God has given you, you need to understand this. It belongs to God. And you should be dedicated to God, not to use your life for your own personal use, but for the Lord's power, all right? So uh, as he does this, this is a tipping point for God with this king. So God basically says, because you've taken what belongs to me and used it for exalting yourself, I've had enough with your pride. So look what God does, verse three. Then they brought in the golden vessels that have been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his and his concubines drank from them so they drank or they and they they praised in other words we talked about this last week they gave glory and worship to the gods of gold silver bronze iron wood and stone now look at verse 5 it says immediately that means within the hour the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall and the king's of the king's palace opposite of the lampstand, and the king saw the hand as it wrote. Verse 6. Then the king's color changed. I mean, no, you do, that's a party bummer right there. <laughs> and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. In other words, this was a knee knocker of a party, all right? And, and imagine, you don't see anything but this and it's writing on the wall. In fact, this is the first time knees knocking together has been mentioned in the Bible. I couldn't find it anywhere else. So don't you just love the way God loves to, to freak some people out? So he freaked him out. Verse 7, the king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon. Whoever reads this writing, it shows me its interpretation. Shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. The reason he would be the third ruler is because his father was the first ruler, and Belshazzar was second, so that would make Daniel third. Then, verse 8, all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed. In other words, he turned white, and his lords were perplexed. Then, verse 10, the, key, the queen, this is his mother, who is the wife of his father, but also she's actually the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. And because of the words of the king and his lords came into the banqueting hall and the queen, by the way, the queen wasn't at the party, so she comes in and she declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. And I would say, but mama, I just saw a hand on the wall and you're telling me. And in verse 11, there's a man in your kingdom and whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Again, they haven't, decided to completely worship the God of all gods. So they say the spirit of the gods. And she's talking about Daniel. And in the, in the days of your father, uh, and she's talking about grandfather, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your grandfather, your father, the king made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, uh, uh, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because, this is why, an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Do you see the similarity between the names? The word Bel, in their language uh, and in their culture, the Babylonians believed that, The king was God, a little God, even though they thought he was the God of all gods. He was believed to be the main God. So Bel means protector of the gods or protector of the king. Belshazzar is to protect his dad's kingship. Now, Belteshazzar means protector, get this, of the king's wife. So, which means God sent a protector to protect Nebuchadnezzar's mother, Uh, and the granddaughter or I'm sorry to protect Nebuchadnezzar's granddaughter and the mother of this king so she says now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation verse 13 then Daniel was brought in before the king the king answered and said to Daniel now listen to this this is kind of a put down to Daniel you are that Daniel one of the exiles of Judah whom the king my father brought from Judah in other words I just want you to know your place. In my eyes, you're a slave, you're a Hebrew that doesn't belong here, you're a slave in my kingdom and I'm letting you know your place. Now the next two verses are important when it comes to stubbornness. I want you to hear this. He says, I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you and that light and understanding and an excellent wisdom are found in you. So he already had heard of Daniel over his 17 years of rulership, he knew about him. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered, I love his humility. He said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation." So basically, Daniel's saying this. I'll do this, but you don't need to bribe me because God takes care of me. And Daniel has a pure and a humble heart and does not need the approval of men. Verse 18. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. I want you to see. Daniel's kind of putting him in his place. I just want you to know, no king is a king unless God lets him be king. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would be, whom whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. So, now Daniel's saying this, he's kind of putting the king in his place in this way, and he's letting him know, you're just a prince and you're just sitting in the king's place, and when he comes home, your position will no longer be where you're at. And God is the one who sets people in place just like your grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar. In essence, he was reminding Belshazzar of his place. Now, it would be that, uh, it would be that one of the reasons Belshazzar uh, was so stubborn is because he really wanted to be the king, but he never really was. And he kept uh, being reminded of that probably all the time by even his own rulers. So Daniel, I think, wanted to remind him that Nebuchadnezzar, who was a real king uh, when he first came into position, that God put him in place and God allowed him to do what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it. So it's kind of a little, little jab, all right? And then after the little jab, he goes on to say, and when his heart was lifted up, And his spirit was hardened, talking about Nebuchadnezzar, so that he dealt proudly. He was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was uh, driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind uh, was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until... He knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled, and you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. That's stubbornness but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you and you and your Lord, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them and you have praised, glorified, worshiped the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. So da- Daniel's telling this king, you have praised gods and worship them, gods that cannot see you, cannot hear you, cannot know you personally. This is the same spirit of pride that's in the last days. Well, you say, what do you mean gold, wood, bronze, uh, all that stuff? Let me just say, things like jewelry, cars, houses, buildings, and bank accounts. Daniel's saying, I know that you have worshiped and exalted them above your love for God. In fact, you don't even know the God. But Daniel's saying, I know a God that can hear you, see you, and can know you. And not only that, you can hear him, see him, and you can know him personally. That's what he's really saying. But the, and then it goes on to say, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose all are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence, the hand was sent and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. "Meanie, Meanie, tekel, and parson. And some of your uh, translations says you, parson. The word you there just means and. So these words mean, here's the meaning, numbered, weighed, and divided. Now look at what God gives to Daniel. This is the interpretation, verse 26, of the manner: "Meanie, Meanie, God and God puts it twice just for emphasis. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Perez or Parson, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Persians. So, two nations are going to take this kingdom. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple, a chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now remember he told Belshazzar to keep his stuff but I think the reason Daniel accepted it is because he knew Belshazzar was on his way out and the new king would need some good counsel. All right, so It says in verse 31 or verse 30, and that very night, Belshazzar, the uh, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. All right, now let me give you the stubborn side of pride. Here's a definition of stubbornness. It means to be obstinately unmoving, stiff as stone or wood, difficult to shape or or mold. Have you ever had, uh, have you ever had a spouse like that? No. Have you ever had a child like that? Have you ever had a friend like that? Where you're trying to tell them, if you keep doing this, or if you do this, you're going to pay the price. And they look at you like, don't even talk to me. I've got my mind made up. And here's another definition you can put down. Your strong will, it's not on your notes, your strong will turn towards yourself Instead of God, your strong will turn toward yourself instead of God now pe- many people don 't remember this, but the name Babylon comes from the tower of Babel, and the word babel means confusion, and when you put on the on on the end of it, it means sown so it means confusion sown and it 's sown by not like not like uh, not needle and thread; it's like sown seeds. So Babylon means sown in confusion, and people who are stubborn in pride will keep talking and babble. And when you put the on in there, it means to babble. No, I'm, this is my babble on and on and on, trying to prove they're right because they are unmoving in their opinions. They they just babble on and on. Babylon and our, obstinately unmovable, unmovable. And many times they talk about themselves and their opinions and their accomplishments and they think they know more than everybody else. So here's the first point you can write down. This king, he saw, but he didn't look. In Exodus, it tells us Moses saw the burning bush and he turned aside to look. But this king probably saw as a little boy all these things that happened to his grandfather. He saw that God was at work. He saw the true God. He knew the true God, but never stopped to look for himself to have a personal encounter with God. And we do this all the time when we read things in the Bible, and it doesn't fit with what we really want to do. Like tithing. I'm just... Throwing this out there, I'm sure you all tithe. But I'm just saying, for those of you who don't, you don't like it when that word comes up. So you come up with a new doctrine. Well, it says it only in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. When Jesus himself said in Matthew 23, 23, you ought to tithe. He says, you tithe on all these spices, but you neglect justice, mercy, and faith. And these ought to have you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So I'm just throwing it out there. And for Lois and I, we've always been tithers. And I'm sure some of you can say this. Well, Pastor Doug, I knew if I brought a friend to church, you'd talk about money. So let me just talk about you, Pastor Doug. And you're pointing your fingers back at me, and let me just say, you're right. I have all sorts of issues. And I want you to know that I will admit my issues because I know I'm preaching not just to you, I'm preaching to us. And I know I struggle in certain areas like food. I love dessert. I love ice cream. I love chocolate. I love salty things. Popcorn with salt and butter on it with chocolate. And I've... And I've had people tell me, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I've seen it, but I haven't looked at it real closely. (laughs) So when I mention tithing, don't say, here he goes after my money, and doesn't he know he's got some issues too? Yes, we all have areas we struggle in. That's called strongholds, but let me just say this. Let me say it this way. We all, all have areas we are stubborn in. So let me give you a key that will help you, hopefully, and you might want to write this down somewhere. The key is intimacy with God and others. The best addition I've ever heard for intimacy is this, in to me see. In other words, when you get intimate with other people and God, you're saying, I want you to see in to me. That's why in the last days coming together in small groups is so important. It changes people's lives. When they get into small groups and there's unconditional trust and they get permission to the people they are fellowshipping with to see into each other. If you're going to make it in the last days you need to be connected to other people so you can have people say I don't think that's going to work. And some of you Don't want to go to small groups because you're stubborn. (laughs) So here's the problem. We don't do it because we think if they see into us, they're going to write us off their lives because they're going to think this guy's actually horrible. Let, Let me say this. If you believe that, you've been lied to by the enemy. That thought caster has been putting lies into you, making you think you can make it on your own. The truth is, what, what they really think is, here's what people think when you get honest with them. Wow, that guy's really honest. He's authentic. He's transparent. And it's refreshing. That's what they think. And if God can help that horrible guy, then maybe he can help me too. Now, I was telling the Lord Friday night as I was wanting to eat more stuff, and I said, Lord, I don't know if you know this, but when I watch sports or a good movie, I, I love to have vanilla ice cream with chocolate syrup or hot fudge. I'm really not picky about this, Lord. I don't care which one. I also love popcorn with some chocolate with it, Lord. Uh, and, and I love the sweet and salt together, Lord. And the Lord said to me, I know. But do you want to know why you love those things? And I thought, nope. I don't really want to know, Lord, because that means I would have to change. But I said, okay, Lord, tell me. And he did. I'm not going to tell you what he told me because whatever he, no, whatever he tells you may be different. So, and then I think if I told you, you guys go, I thought you said. Okay, here's the second point for the stubborn side of pride. He heard, but he didn't listen. He heard about grandpa losing his throne and eating grass and being out there like an oxen. He heard about Daniel interpreting dreams. He heard about, but, but ignored. Just think about this. Daniel was used to do miracles for his grandfather, and not once in the 17 years did he talk to Daniel. It blows my mind. He heard about Daniel interpreting those dreams. He heard about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but it didn't affect him. Even though they went into a fire and four of them were in the fire and they were saved and didn't have any smoke on them, it didn't change his heart. He heard, but he didn't listen. Can I just say this? Christians can be stubborn. For years, I didn't make the bed. It didn't make sense to me. Why make something that no one else is going to see and you're just going to get back into it that night. So for years, I didn't put the toilet seat down after I did my thing because I thought, why can't my wife put this toilet seat up? I mean, you ladies get very demanding over that toilet seat. And that might be one of the things Timothy was talking about in the last days. Men will be very selfish by not making their beds and putting the toilet seat down. I don't know. But then one day, the handwriting on the wall came into my life through a friend named Sharon Damasio. I don't know why she said this. I don't know why men are so selfish and so self-centered when it comes to their wives. I said, why? Is is Pastor Frank really selfish? (laughs) She said, I'm talking about all men. I said, she said, don't they realize how much it would mean to them, to their wives, if their husband would just make the bed each morning? And I said, why? And she said, because they feel good about their bedroom looking decent if someone came to visit and went into their bedroom. And I thought, okay, for those two who have come into our bedroom for the last five years, I'll go ahead and start making the bed. So I did. And then she said, don't you realize what a difference it would make for your wife if, if, if men would just put down the toilet seat when they're finished? And I said, why is that such a big deal? And then she said this, you try popping out a few kids from down there and see how your bladder control is, and then you'll, you'll, you'll understand because when your wife says she's got to go, she's got to go. And when she comes in there and sees the seat up, she's just, oh, you've got to be kidding me. So if you put it down, she'll be, going, oh, my husband is so sweet and kind, and, and he, he cares about me. He loves me. He understands, and he's so grateful that I birthed their kids, birthed their kids. So when Jamie and Jill were around four and two, from that day forward, I started putting the seat down. So for forty-four, listen. For forty-four years, Lois has had a a husband who quit being stubborn about two things. (laughs) She's so blessed. All right, all right. Now, uh, point number three: When it comes to stubborn pride, he knew, but he didn't learn. Now remember, we have we have said he saw, he heard. And now he knows. But the other three words we have used are look, listen, and learn. Look, listen, and learn. This king would have looked in, uh, into God, uh, if he would have looked into God for himself, it would have changed everything. If he could have listened and not just heard, it would have changed everything. Loss has said to me this to me many times over the years. You hear me, but you don't listen to my heart. And then I get defensive and say, well, you don't listen to me and hear my heart. How many know that's prideful? Yes. Always. And she's right. If I would listen to her and hear her heart, it would change everything. And, and uh, I could learn from her. Job said this in Job 42 verse 5. I had heard of you by the hearing of the year, but now my eyes see you. In the New Living, it says it this way. I'd only heard about you before. But now I've seen you with my own eyes. That's my prayer for all of us, all right? Now, when I was young, I gave my life to Jesus, but I had to learn to yield my will, and I still am over the years. I'm still learning to yield it every day, moment by moment. Lois got saved at 16 and began to yield her will to the Lord much faster than I did, but especially when we got married, she really needed God's heart, and will over her life because of who she married. So one one thing I want us all to know is that st- strong-willed, being strong-willed and stubborn is not bad if it's yielded to God's will. In other words, in these last days, you need to be strong-willed and stubborn about your convictions. You, you'll need to know what you believe and why you believe it. You'll need to be strong-willed when it comes to boldness and sharing Jesus Christ and praying over people's lives and not shrink back because you're carrying the answer to their issues. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were strong-willed and standing up for their God no matter what came their way. You've heard me tell this story before, but when we were raising our two daughters, Jamie, our oldest, was definitely the strong-willed one. And I called Jamie yesterday to get her permission to share the story once again, maybe in a little more detail. Now, I think Jill was strong-willed as as Jamie was, but she learned to pick her battles from watching Jamie. Now, I watch Jill with her husband in these days, and she... Her husband had definitely met his match. She's strong-willed. She reminds me so much of Lois. Anyway, in a good way. Powerful Lois. Anyway, when Jamie was 13, this guy started hanging around our house. Uh, He told us he just liked Jamie as a friend. And Lois said to me, "Um, I think he should be allowed to hang around our house, become part of our family. He needs family. He's 18, but it's no big deal. And I said, Lois, this guy is after our daughter. And so we told her, he, he, we told him actually, you're not allowed uh, to, to hang here when we go to bed. Jamie goes to bed, you leave, all that stuff. And so this guy and Jamie, um, were, even though we told Jamie we didn't want her in more than a friendship, we found out later she was sneaking out the window and meeting up with this guy in different places around town. And they were getting together for quite a while. We didn't know it. Then one night at our house, they were getting a little affection. I thought, huh, this thing's really changing here. So we told this guy it was time for him to leave and Jamie needed to go to bed. And Jamie decides to walk him out to his car. Well, it was taking longer than normal for Jamie. I went up to bed. Lois went down to make sure Jamie got back in the house, and as she looks out the window uh, into our garage, Jamie, I don't know what you guys call it now, but we called it making out with this guy. And Lois is just, and it wasn't just a normal kiss. It was very uh, intense. So Lois starts flipping the light on and off. It It was a light show. She doesn't open the door and say, get in here. She starts flipping the light. And this guy starts to back away. And this, this is what Jamie told me yesterday. She said, I told the guy, don't you dare back away. That's exactly what she wants you to do. And I'm not giving her that satisfaction. How I many of you know that's a little strong-willed? A little stubborn. So they just kept on kissing right there in front of Lois. Lois opens the door finally and says, get in here. And you go home to the guy. And so he takes off running like a scared little puppy. But our daughter comes walking in. She just goes straight down the room, doesn't say anything. Lois comes up to me and says, you're not going to believe it. They were making out in the garage. And I said, well, what would you expect? I told you the guy's been after our daughter. And she said, well, I didn't expect that. And I said, he's probably been going on for quite a while. Who knows? But I've, I'm, we got to get an, an agreement. She said, well, we're in agreement now. He's got to go. So we cut the relationship off, we thought. But sometime after Jamie turned 16, she announced to us she was going to move in with this guy's family because our rules were too strict. And his family wanted her with them. And she was going to move out in the next week. So we prayed. And then I asked Jamie if she would sit down and talk with me uh, before she moved out. And this is what I told her. Jamie... I love you, you're a gift to your mother and I from the Lord, but we are also a gift from God to you and we've been given to you to prepare you for your future, so here's what I'm asking you to consider, would you take three days, the next three days, and ask God if he wants you to leave this house and move in with this guy's family and if you feel that God is telling you yes, even though we say no I'll help you pack your bags, put them in my car, and drive you to his house. But you need to know, if you move out, you're not moving back in. We'll always be here for you. You'll always be our daughter, but we're not paying for anything else. So I went up and told Lois what I said. And Lois goes, what? What? What are you doing? You just chased our daughter. We'll never have our daughter back again in our lives. You need to go down there and tell her right now you didn't mean it. I said, no, let's just pray for the next three days and see what God does. So after three days, she came to both of us and she said this. Can I talk with you? And I said, of course. She said, Lois and I were expecting the worst, by the way. We were thinking, well, I'm gonna go down and help her pack her bags. But she looked into her eyes with tears, and she said, I have been wrong, and I'm so glad you're my parents. I'm so glad God gave you to be the authority in my life to help shape me. I'm sorry I hurt you, and I disobeyed you, and I've broken it off with this guy. And I was wondering if it would be okay if I stayed here. (laughs) (laughs) And then she said, I don't know if she said it to me privately or at a loss, but she said, I will trust you for my future to help me find the right guy for my life. And when she got into college, she called me several times. We went through a couple guys. One was called, I called him Nate the Snake (laughs) Bait. But we all broke down and we cried and we hugged and we loved each other. And let me just say this. The next two years, as she yielded her will, strong will to the Lord, were the best years we ever had. She led many of her friends, and Jill did too, uh, to the Lord. And then she went off to Tennessee for one year to try to fulfill her dream. And I, I remember telling her, uh, Jamie, why do you want to go to Tennessee? And she said, Dad, this is on her way, me driving her there. She said, Dad, you always told me that God gives dreams, and I'm going to fulfill my dream. If it doesn't work out, then it wasn't God. But this is a dream I feel like God put in my heart to write song, write songs and sing. I said, okay, so we had a family we knew there, and she went there. Anyway, then she got into college, and she met the love of her life. He became the love of my life over, you know, the next five, ten years. (laughs) I love Dave. Okay, now, the reason I tell all of you that, let's stand. The reason I tell all of you that is this. There are some of you here today that have never done that. You've never surrendered your strong will to the Lord. And you've been stubborn about things that God has said for you to do, just like me. And today is your day to surrender that strong will to the Lord. It will change everything in your life if you'll do exactly what my daughter did and many others have done over the years. So with every head bowed, every eye closed. It all starts with surrendering your will to the Lord by making him the Lord, the savior, the boss of your life. And if you don't know Christ today, or maybe at one time you did, he's here to tell you, listen, if you'll surrender your will to me, surrender your heart to me, I can change everything in your life. But you've got to trust me, and you've got to yield it, uh, that will to me. And if you need Jesus in your life today, and you need to come back to him. If that's you, raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I need to surrender it all to him. Raise your hands high. Don't hold them back. I see one, two, three. Any others? Okay, three. Come on. That's good stuff. Now let's all say this prayer together. Mean it with your heart. This is by faith. You believe it in your heart, you confess with your mouth this prayer, okay? Say this with me. Father God. Father God. Thank you. Thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son Jesus to die in my place I ask you Jesus to forgive me of all my sins all my mistakes and all my failures come into my life and be my savior my lord my boss my friend and my king and by your grace and by your power I will serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's give the Lord a big hand. Okay, if I can have prayer people up here, we're gonna take just a few more minutes to sing and worship. And whatever you need to yield to the Lord, yield fear, whatever it might be, trust God for, your, uh, for his healing on your life and whatever it might be. Let's worship him.